if you always come at real estate from the mind of who can I help, I think you'll be fine. You'll figure it out. I didn't set out to become a probate expert. It just became my best source of leads and I loved it. Overreaching message that I have in my marketing pieces is, I know this is a hard time for you and I'll be here when you're ready. Very much like you want a house in great shape with everything done to code, so does the end buyer that buys this house. So there is going to be a tsunami of probates. If ever there was a time to work probates, it is right now. The real estate world is changing. Opportunity is everywhere. It has never been so easy to connect, share, and bring people together. We're learning from others and finding the very best in ourselves. Challenging our beliefs, overcoming our fears, transforming ourselves so we can transform our business. This is Investor Creator. Sharon, welcome to Investor Creator. Well, thanks for having me. Well, you know, I've really been looking forward to this and you don't know this, but back when I was first getting into real estate, I used to listen to your podcast. And so this is kind of like graduation for me (laughs) that I get to have you on mine. So I appreciate you being with us. First, I want to talk about the state of the economy and the state of the market, because you've been doing this for a long time. I'd really just like your opinion on what you think about what you're seeing in the market right now. Well, I think with every bit of uh, adversity, there's always opportunity. I think your success at this moment in time will be directly tied to your ability to pivot. We have an older investor in our investing group who's well into his 80s, and he'll say, I've made money when interest rates were 18%, and I've made money when they're 2%. I just did it differently. And I think that's the thing that you have to, there's nothing we can do to change our situation, but we can change how we react to it. We can adapt our marketing We can look for the ways that we can help people. And I think if you always come at real estate from the mind of who can I help, I think you'll be fine. You'll figure it out. Yeah, and I totally agree with that. So let's get into your history. How did you get involved in real estate to begin with? Well, um, kind of a a rock, kind of a weird path because uh, my dad was a general contractor growing up and me being the oldest, most well-behaved kids of the four. I was the one that got to tag along with him by default. <laughs> so I learned early on, I just had a love of construction, even though he didn't do residential, he did more commercial stuff. So fast forward, I was a very scientific, you know, worked for years in research and develop in the medical field. So when I decided that I wanted to start a business, I, a lot of us are not, while we're good employees, it's not We don't love being employees because even though I was a manager of a medical practice, I wasn't really the owner, you know, so Mm -hmm. I wanted my own business. And at that time, I kind of backslid into my construction upbringing and I decided to open up a home inspection business in 1991 and talk about you don't know what you don't know. Well, that's another whole story. But I did that. And long about 1998, you know, I worked with a lot of realtors in that business. 
And I had a realtor ask me, do you want to go to a RIA meeting? And I said, well, what's a RIA meeting? So I went with her and that was my first introduction to real estate investing. And when I first learned, you didn't have to be a realtor to be, you know, in real estate involved in that field, because coming from my very blue collar upbringing, everybody had a job, even though my dad had a business, it was not, you just didn't think, really think along those terms. And we thought when I was really young, we had a realtor a friend who was in his 20s, and we all just thought he was crazy. He didn't have a stable job. You know, we, we couldn't imagine how he even earned a living, to tell you the truth, because we grew up in the go to school and get a job world. So in along that year in 1998, I bought my first property, and I invested for about 10 years part-time, keeping the other business. And then in 2008, which was the best of times and the worst of times, I closed the home inspection business and I became a full-time real estate investor. Now, up until that time, I had been rehabbing and doing some buy and hold, just kind of a a little, you know, along with the other business because it was a very demanding business. And overnight in 2008, found myself with these properties and I just saw the writing on the wall. It was going to take a long time to get them rehabbed, you know, however long, four months, six months. And where was I going to find a buyer? Because nobody could get a retail mortgage and certainly not in my area at that time. So I became an accidental wholesaler just like that overnight. I called up a couple of investors I knew and said, would you want to buy these houses? Take them off my hands. They said, well, yeah, I'll do that. And I thought, boy, that was easy. (laughs) But For anybody thinking they want to start with wholesaling, it's not really that easy. I just had 10 years of contacts. Right. Simple, but not easy. And and that's a big, big difference, although related. So that makes sense. And so at some point you became like the probate lady. So how did that happen? You know, it's an odd thing. So I was always really good at marketing. When I had the home inspection company, we're going back really before your time, but I mean, we we call it BI before the internet, where we actually (laughs) did flyers and went to meetings and did all of the old school things, which people are doing today. So I had relied heavily on direct mail and I found myself in 2008. It was direct mail has always been very successful for me for generating leads. But I looked around and there were, you know, it was a weird time in 2008. And I honestly was looking for something to um, focus on that was a little bit different. Now, I always worked off market deals, though. I was not the MLS girl who was going to go in there and get a fight with six other, um, mostly men. It wasn't my thing. So I always worked off market deals. And I stumbled upon probates and I started to learn about them. And at that time, Brad, there was nobody doing probates. And I do mean nobody. So I learned the process. I had to make calls and visits and talk to attorneys and do all of these things. And it took me a very long time. I worked probates. They became my number one source of leads for my business. But it was, I did not actually sit down to create a course until two years ago, 2018. Mm-hmm. And people would ask me, you know, they would come on the blog. So I blogged about it a lot. I had a, had the blog since 2010. Then I started podcasting about 2013. And I tell people, we had absolutely no clue what we were doing back then. We just jumped in and did it. But I started all of that really to just kind of chronicle my journey. And as I learned something, I just blogged about it. And it was the same way with probates. But 
I didn't set out to become a probate expert. It just became my best source of leads, and I loved it. And that makes a lot of sense. I call what we buy from the big five motivating factors, and probate is our third big five. And But I think it's important to really understand how the probate situation is different. So how do you feel the best practice is when it comes to dealing with someone that's had a death that has that creates this need to sell a property versus you know, pre-foreclosure or divorce or tired landlords, which are four of our three of our other big ones. I mean, how do you think that this probate situation is different as an investor and how can we deal with that the best way? Well, it's different in that if a house is in probate, they have to sell it. So when you're dealing with divorces and pre-foreclosures, a lot of the times the people are in what I call kind of a denial stage. They still think they're going to pull out a Hail Mary somehow, or they're going to keep the house or whatever the situation is. But if someone has not done estate planning so that they go around the probate process and put the house in a trust or done one of these things, and they end up with property in almost any state in the union, that house is going to go through probate. Now, if you understand the process, it works. uh, This is a simplified version, but someone passes away. The probate is opened by the family, and it's that next step where the assets are sold. So that's everything, personal property, real property. It's got got to be converted to cash and the, if it's not directly inherited. And the reason it has to be converted to cash is because the next thing on the list is the creditors are paid. Now, who are the creditors? The creditors are anybody that money's owed to. Like uh, sometimes I find elderly people take out a home equity loan. They may have credit cards. They may even have a car payment. But certainly things like uh, hospital bills, nursing home bills, attorney bills, funeral expenses, all of those things, all those creditors have to be paid. So this isn't a choice of we can hold out and we can wait till the markets. They're working off of a, a timeline. And then, then and only then do the heirs get what's left. So if you look down the timeline of probate, if you're on the receiving end of an estate, you are dead last in the process. So they can be some of the most motivated sellers of all. But the other side of the coin is if you stop and look at it from their perspective, let's say they're Brad and Brad has a job, he has a family, he's got activities with the kids or whatever your life encompasses. And then all of a sudden you find out, because a lot of times people don't know they're the executor of the estate. Uncle Henry named them executor, only he didn't tell them. Mm -hmm. They find out they've got this new job, which is called the business of settling the estate. And it is a job. It's something they have to do. So what I have found over the years is people, they just want to, they reach a point where they just want to be done. They just want to get back to their life. And since they have to sell the house, If it's not what I call a really pretty house that's going to be listed on the MLS, they're going to come to an investor. And certainly if they have a house that needs repairs and or updates, but also you can pick up some really nice houses out of convenience. Maybe if the, let's say the the deceased lived in New York and the executor lives in on the West Coast, he or she just doesn't want to fly back and forth and deal with it. So they're willing to take a lesser amount of money for the convenience and a quick sale. 
So let's talk about reaching out to these people. So I was the executor for my grandmother. And it was really interesting to live the other side of it, being an investor and seeing what other people do. And so I had some people send out some really nice letters that said, hey, you know, I see that you're the executor of this estate. I'm sorry for your loss. You know, if, if you find the need to need to sell any real estate, please keep me in mind kind of thing. And I thought, well, that that was really nice. Like I read the letter and I felt really good about it. And then I also had the opposite. <laughs> you know, I had some people that would cold call or do ringless voicemail and be like, hey, you know, I see that you need to sell this property because of a death and, you know, I can pay all cash and like was really cold about it. Mm-hmm. What do you think the best way is to like tactfully do this to reach out to people? Well, in, in my book, there's only one way. First of all, you don't call somebody because somebody's mama just died or their yeah. grandmother or it is cold, it's insensitive and they hate it. And from doing this for now 12 years, I hear all about it, all of those things. So don't do that. Send them, and the marketing series that I use is exactly what you described. I only do white computer-generated letters, personalized. Don't go to Office Depot and print off a bunch of dear executor letters. They don't work either. But you personalize it, and the overreaching message that I have in my marketing pieces is, I know this is a hard time for you, and I'll be here when you're ready. Let me know how I can help. And what I found is the biggest stumbling block for people, once they get to the stage where they open the estate, they first have to get there. They have to get mentally, as you know, it's tough. You have to get past the, your own emotional issues. And once they open the estate, though, they're raising their hand. They're saying, I'm ready to move forward with the, selling the property. And that's the point at which you start marketing to them. But be aware that they may not sell that house to you for six months, 12 months. It may be a while for a variety of reasons, but the number one reason I found over the years that they get all the way to that point and they stop is all the stuff in the house. There's so much stuff. They'll go take out valuables. They obviously look for jewelry, money, all the cool stuff. And then they look around and there's a pile of National Geographic's from 10 years and there's 42,000 butter tubs. You know, because a lot of elderly people, they're keepers. They came from a time when you didn't waste anything. And I won't even say they're hoarders. They're more keepers. So if you can offer, always in my contract, I offer to clean out the house. If this is something you need me to finish doing, is removing whatever you don't want, we'll be happy to do that for you. You can just be done with, you know, we'll buy the house. We'll take care of it all for you. We'll make it really easy for you. And that's where I think we excelled was we just made it all about that person and making sure that we were there at the right moment in time. And I bet that's a really big value add. I mean, it certainly would have been for me because we had all this stuff in there and like emotionally going through everything just sounds like the last thing that you want to do. So I'm sure that 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 you want a lot of deals by doing that. Let me ask you this. So Whenever I have three or four people together, we can't agree on where to have lunch. So I'm thinking about three or four heirs. And, you know, even though the executor probably has the binding decision power when it comes to price, also, I know that in some family circumstances that the heirs would have a a significant influence over that because everybody wants to get the most that they can and, and be treated fairly. So how do you kind of reconcile that? Are you dealing directly with the executor? Do you find that it's best to deal with the executor and then offer to go to the heirs and have conversations there so it's more personal? What's the best way to do that, you feel? 
Well, there's no doubt about it. The executor or the administrator, if they didn't have a will, then the court appointed an administrator. They are jointly one in the same, the personal representative. So the only person that can actually sign on the dotted line is the personal representative, the executor. Mm-hmm. With that being said, they've got to live with these people and their family once this has passed. And in most families, yes, it can get to be very contentious because they see a magic number. Somebody down the street sold their house for this many dollars, but they are completely unaware that it's going to take $40,000 to fix this house up to make it like the one that sold down the street. So I've had numerous times. And I would see if I could meet with the family, go over to the house. If there's a kitchen table, sit down with them and go, let me just explain to you that. And I would go through everything. Yes, that house did sell for that. But I would always take it back to this. If you were going to live in this house, what would you want to be fixed in this house? Oh, we'd want the hardwood foolish. We finished. We'd want a new kitchen. And then you just simply stop talking. And then when they're done, you say, well, you know, all of that costs a lot of money. And then some, there's always one that will say, well, I can fix that bathroom for $1,000. And my ace in the hole was I would always say, do I look like I can swing a hammer? No. So <laughs> we or do I want to swing a hammer? No. So I was always quick to point out that very much like you want a house in great shape with everything done to code. So does the end buyer that buys this house. So we only use reputable contractors. Yeah, we can't get that sink put in for free for going to Home Depot and getting sink. But we have to put this house back in the shape so that a retail buyer can buy it. And if it's a first time home buyer type of house, we would say, look, think back to when you bought your first house. You took every dime you could get your hands on to put the down payment down. You don't have any money to fix anything. And most people today, both parents work and probably a huge amount of the families, both of them work unlike in a different time where maybe the wife could stay home. Maybe she was so inclined to paint the bathroom when she had time or whatever. But these people are two parents working families. They don't want to take on those repairs. They just don't want to do it. So it's a different time now. Certainly is. What do you think the people that are trying to invest in probates but haven't done a lot of it, what do you think the biggest mistakes are that they make? I think they go about the marketing wrong. That's certainly, we've talked about that. That's one where these people will not forget it. Forget it if your first contact is wrong. They will absolutely remember it because sometimes it's very painful for them. So that's one thing. The second thing is they need to educate themselves on the process. It's as simple as being able to speak the language. And I like to tell people the reason God made attorneys is so you don't have to do all that stuff. But you do have to be able to have an intelligent conversation where you understand the basic terminology of probate. Mm -hmm. But by and far, the biggest thing is mindset. You have to understand very clearly where these people are. And then you have to fix your own mindset. Because, Brad, how many investors have you heard that said, well, I'm, I can't talk to them? You know, somebody died or it's creepy or they're benefiting from someone else's bad luck. When if you go back to the probate process, remember, they have to sell the, they have to convert the assets to cash. So they have to sell the house. So you are 
not taking advantage of anybody. In fact, you are their savior. I have gotten more hugs at probate closings than any other type of closing ever. Yeah, and I can totally see that. And I'm sure through your career, you have a couple of stories that really just stick out in your mind of just being the perfect transaction. Does one stick out in your mind that you could share with us? Well, there most of the time when it comes to probates, I mean, they're very seamless for all the reasons that I've told you. If you understand, and I think this is true for any specific niche you work in, it could be pre-foreclosures. If you don't understand the process, it's not going to go smoothly. But I think for me, the vast majority of all the transactions in recent years have gone smoothly because I never stopped investing in my education. I've I've honed my skills. And at the end of the day, when it comes to transactions, I think if you always have their best interest at the heart, it's going to be a win. Now, make no mistake, it has to be a win-win for both sides. But I honestly don't have too many problems in that. I had one where the family attempted to do the probate themselves and it took five months to get it done. But that was, I very quickly learned how to fix that problem with putting certain language in the contract. Mm. But I would tell people, don't think that this is, that I'm something special. You can learn how to do this. And this moment in time is a once in a lifetime opportunity to work in probates. It's always a great niche because sadly, you will never run out of leads. It is fact of life. Every month, there is a new group of probates. But what is different about this particular moment in time is all the months that the courts have been closed. So you had people that have filed the probate, suddenly everything stopped. Those people had finally gotten of the mindset that they could do this. And then it got stuck in the court system. And then you have all these people back here that they never got to file because the courts were closed. So there is going to be a tsunami of probates. If ever there was a time to work probates, it is right now, right now. I never thought about that, but that makes a ton of sense. Sharon, I appreciate you being with us. For those that are interested in learning more about you or learning the probate process, where can they find you? They can come over to the blog at louisvillegalsrealestateblog.com. There's a link off of there to the podcast, Let's Talk Real Estate Investing. There's also a link over there where they can find out more about my course, Probate Investing Simplified. Very good. And we will put all of that in the show notes for you guys. Appreciate you being with us, Sharon. Thanks for having me, Brad.